You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hello, and welcome to All the Things. It's Saturday night. Welcome, welcome. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager. And this is All the Things, the show where we talk about all things relevant to our current culture and day from a historically Christian perspective. And helping us on the show tonight, as always, is the lovely and gracious Abigail Bontrager. And Bob, the official button pusher. There they are. There they are. You can see them. Abby's uh, painting her backpack right now. So that big black thing on her desk there is her backpack. She got out some paints and. Yeah, she's very talented. Yes, she's painting Pac Man uh, on there. Go follow her. Yes, Yes, that was the word from. The teenager, go follow her at ab dot underscore pictures. Yes. Bob, All right. I'm not, I'm not that sure Instagram, that Instagram. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, these cameras in focus. I don't know. It's it's a little it, fuzzy. It, 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 I don't know. I'm just here. All right. I'm just here trying to you know do that's my okay. thing. That's okay. All right. We're we're in our living room. We, yes, it's a family affair. <laughs> yes. Oh okay. my gosh. So so today, ha- what did we do? Have you recovered from today? I just love to get up early in the morning and um, go sit in the hot sun. It was awesome and confusing. So today, my nephews, last night, I have three nephews, first of all. Let's start there. I have Ryland, Radley, and Raiden. They're all ours. (laughs) And we can't keep them straight. So so we call them R1, R2, and R3. (laughs) And two of them, the two babies, had um, a soccer game today. Or the middle one had a soccer game, Radley. And so we brought it. There was some scheduling conflict. So we brought two of them here with us and um, they, they spent, spent the night. night. Yes. Saw they Star won. Wars for the first time. Yep. Yes. Went swimming, did a, you know, the thing. And then this morning got up, took them to soccer. Now, I didn't know that they needed to have water and snacks and all that. So because Monique's never been to, to a kid's soccer game. No. Bob and I spent about every Saturday for 10 years sitting out either soccer or baseball and so we had all the equipment. So about 10 minutes before we're supposed to leave, I say to Monique, okay, get the chairs and the water and everything all together. She just looks at me like I told her to get in a rocket ship. And- like, for what? <laughs> yes. But, you know, we got all the things and got there. And it was 100. Yes. And there were like 8,000 kids. It was yeah. 100 degrees out and there were 8,000 kids. It was 10 in the morning. <laughs> it was AYSO soccer. So she had, Monique. <laughs> Ever been to an AYSO situation where they have like 10 games going on at the same time. So she just tells her nephew, go ahead, go run off, find your team, not realizing that they're all in the same color. <laughs> so now I have to go and spend, what, 25 minutes oh, at least trying to find my kid who's in the <laughs> same color as everyone else. It was like, where's Waldo? <laughs> it was a mess. And so I finally find him. And everything Where's that is picture? okay. And then we we were living the suburban life there on the sidelines. There we are. Yes. <laughs> and I don't even, I can't even see him there. He's, he was over. He's somewhere. Somewhere. He's like right here in the corner. Yeah. But, but yeah. he lived his best life running. He made two goals. Yes. Unfortunately, they lost yes. by three points. Yeah. Womp, womp. So Monique's getting introduced to suburban life here of. Yeah, and I mean, he plays soccer on Saturday mornings. My other nephew, the oldest one, Ryland, plays travel ball for softball. I've been to a couple of his games. Baseball, yeah, not 
not softball. No. He plays baseball. Um, I learned today that softball is only for girls. I had Most no times. Idea. There, there's okay. fast pitch softball that old men play, but yeah. Well, he plays baseball. And um, that is quite good at yeah, it. Yeah, he's very good at it. So we had fun. We had fun with the boys. We yes. Had- and last week I wasn't even here. How I know. about that? I wasn't fun for me. Don't ever do that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. It wasn't fun, but it was just me and Art Thomas talking about healing for a while. But it was a good show. Yeah. It was. I just wasn't here. I know, but it wasn't the same. So you were missed. Yay. Definitely. Well, missed. I missed everyone and I missed being here in my seat. I'm glad nobody else took over my seat. because that <laughs> I was thinking been. about getting one of those Abby's hand, hand puppets over there, but. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but I do want to encourage everyone to go catch the replay if they missed the show. The discussion with Art Thomas about healing was really good. Thought provoke, uh, provoking um, many questions about what the Bible teaches about healing. Some of Art's experiences as an evangelist in Africa. And I also talked about Juad's question. From of what? <laughs> I'm What's sorry. So funny? Nothing's funny. My eye just decided it wanted to start watering oh. and like cry. I have no idea. My eye kind of has a mind of its own. I don't well, know. It just decided to do something weird. I'm not emotional and I am not laughing. Okay. My eye just decided it was going right. to. Well, I'm gonna. Leave. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. That could be helpful. All right. Well, let's get down to let's get down to business here. Let's get down to business. That is um. That is from a Disney movie. Oh, copyright content? I did not really say that. I said something else. Oh, goodness gracious, my eye. All right, yeah, we have our friend Laura Hartley checking in from Texas. Our friend Cynthia Hampton uh, checking in from SoCal. They're wanting to know our thoughts about Benny Hinn. Well, stay tuned. That's coming up later in the program. You just gave her, like... 10 towels. What are we doing here? I have one eye <laughs> that is leaking. All right. And yet I was given a paper towel. Oh, my friend Susanna is watching. Hello, Susanna. Good hey, to- Susanna. Good to hear from you. Andrew Smith is watching. And uh-huh. Amy Martindale. Good yes. evening. Catching hey, folks. Up. We love our live viewers. So thank you. All right, let's do the rundown and get down to business here. We're just horsing around. All right. So, yeah. So, hey, there's nothing wrong with been around a little bit. You know, have a little fun. Um, We're going to talk with Dr. Mike Gurney from Multnomah University. He was on the show before, and he broke down, like, seminary and people going to seminary and what that equates, or not going to seminary, actually, and what that equates to in the church in real time and how people's um, knowledge of the Bible or lack thereof is being displayed because of seminary attendance. Yeah. And today he's going to come on. He, first of all, he's a doctor, a doctor of philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's really like smart and he's thought about a lot he's of things. He's really smart. I'm yeah. sure Michael appreciate there he is. that. There he is. All that money he spent on that PhD. There it is. <laughs> um, and so today he's going to talk about capitalism. And so, I mean, he can go from seminary to capitalism. Next week we might have him on talking about, I don't know, something else, cars. Who knows? <laughs> but um, he's going to talk about capitalism and it's capitalism evil and maybe explore some of the questions of is was jesus or is jesus a socialist or does he hold some socialist mindset um i have a lot of questions because i have actually not really agreed with a lot of capitalist mentality um i've held some some personal views that i'll get into a little bit later and ask those questions but um 
then I started a business and was like, hey, hold on. <laughs> don't take my money. I want to make my money. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, I don't know that I am fully on board with capitalism, but I do like earning my own money. Um, and what that means, like, what does it mean to be a like to be a capitalist, to have a small business, to, you know, enter into that space? And I, it makes me wonder if some of my friends who hold the socialist words really deeply are capitalists in their heart so i have some some questions get into it with mike in just a few minutes here and then later we're going to talk about benny hinn and he made this whole video thing or or talked about like repentance and coming out of the prosperity gospel and things like that and i have heard some people be like whatever i don't know i I think we should watch the video and kind of weigh in and see yeah how does this impact us today? And scripturally, what does repentance look like? Yeah, I think it's going to be a good conversation. I'm looking forward to talking about the Benny Hinn clip because it's been making the rounds on social media this week. So yeah. I think that'll be good. And then, of course, it wouldn't be a show without the tweet. The tweet of, of the, the week. week. Yes. Yeah, right. so, yes. So let's um, let's bring up Mike. Mike, Mike. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know. You have like a PhD. I'm just sitting over here calling you Mike, Mike. I'm sorry about that. Speaking of old men. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I'm trying to relive my glory days. Uh, actually, I never played this. I'm wearing the Marcus Mariota Oregon Ducks jersey. Go Ducks! So, uh, you know, but uh, living up there in the play football, my kids do, but I don't. So, you, you know. live vicariously through your children. I, I think that's right. I live vicariously. <laughs> well, I don't. Not into sports, really. So, the Ducks, I guess, are a, t- a football team. Oh yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Right. You said because you brought up football. Yeah, the, the University of Oregon Ducks. Oh, okay. Yes. Not to be confused with that duck down there in Southern California that's associated with some kind of theme park. Anyway, you know, <laughs> that's trying to take over the inter- entertainment world, you know. But oh, that capitalism, right. right? All right. Well. All right. Moving right along from ducks. Um, okay. Well, we're gonna. Monique and I have been talking about doing a series of conversations periodically of election-related issues because. There's so many themes, I think, happening in the elections that um, Christians are wanting to help to think more clearly about. And one of those issues that seems to be coming up a lot is about socialism. Yeah. Is capitalism evil? Was Jesus a socialist? Yeah. Um, is it? There's uh, one candidate who is trying to make the case that socialism is actually more biblical than capitalism. So I thought it'd be great to just have a little conversation about about all of that so maybe the first place to start is just in a definition mike is what are we talking about when we're even talking about capitalism because really the three big economic frameworks if you will are capitalism socialism and communism so let's start with capitalism like how how might we even define that yeah capitalism is a particular economic arrangement that is built around the free market in other words that there's a, a free exchange uh by participants in the free market um and that's the basis for any kind of uh distribution of economic and material goods um we sh- i think it's what's important it's often is often missed in these kind of discussions is that um we're not talking about, you know, there's degrees of capitalism in terms of, you know, what's sometimes referred to as laissez-faire capitalism is, is that there's no, any, no, no kind of regulation or control. Um, 
And uh, most forms have, you know, most advocates of capitalism are not advocating for laissez-faire capitalism, but rather that that the main that there's little restriction, that the main cause or dynamics of economic exchange is done by free exchange in the marketplace by willing participants. Um, and socialism is actually more of a political system. So it's, 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 but it has significant economic implications. Well, before we get into socialism, yeah. I want to just make sure that everyone's clear on a couple of really important points that you just sure. made is that one of the, the foundational assumptions or beliefs of capitalism is that people engage in free will relationships, right? That they can have free will associations. There can be an exchange of goods or services. That is the result of uh, every, everyone, all parties interested in, in their free will. And that right. that is an important kind of foundational assumption of capitalism I think another one is that it's a recognition of the idea that people tend to work in their best interest. They tend to want to exchange in those goods and services in whatever is in, in their best interest. Yeah. That, that, that the main impetus, you know, in, in exchanges, in economic exchanges between parties is self-interest. You know, I, you know, I love to buy books, uh, as my office can attest. Um, and, you know, I and I and we're, we're looking at, different. you know, I, I'm looking at it. I go on Amazon or some other source or I go into a bookstore and it has a certain price. And I make a value judgment about whether that is a price that I'm willing to pay for that item, for that book. And so that's, you know, and, and that. Uh, and once again, the, the idea of capitalism is that if you have multiple sources of where you can buy books, that produces competition, which tends to drive down prices. But you know, a lot of and a lot of it's and a lot of the, the the economic forces behind it are based on supply and demand. So it's really it's all about you know this idea of free exchange, and certainly, like I said, most proponents of capitalism are saying that there is a role uh, to be played by government, you know, like, for example, in regards to fraud, uh, you know, unfair exchanges, coercion. But for the most part, the, the, the market is driven by people's self-interest. So, for example, in that, in, in that assumption or in that belief, um, human trafficking would not be allowed because the government would want to act in preventing coercion right. of people being forced to participate against their will. Right. So just because yeah. there's an exchange of goods, goods or services, does it mean, like you said, a laissez-faire approach where anything goes, there right. is a role for government to help prevent fraud, um, theft protection, um, and people being forced to do things against their will. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, and this is often, I find often overlooked by critics of capitalism, uh, is that the earliest founders of capitalism, and probably most notably Adam Smith, well, well first of all, it's important to note, Adam Smith was not, first, first and foremost, an economist. He was a moral philosopher. In fact, before he wrote Wealth of the Nations, he wrote uh, a theory of moral sentiments. And when you read 
I, both of those books, but you know, but when you read Wealth and Nations, he's one of the things he assumes largely in his discussion of capitalism is that the participants in the free market exchange are people of virtue. And I think most uh, proponents of capitalism, thinker, and particularly on, the, on those who are thinkers and, and, and develop these theories, they recognize that in order for capitalism to work well, it has to be conjoined with moral virtue. In fact, um, you know, because one of the main critics, I find one of the common criticism against against capitalism is crony capitalism. You know, this, this easy, and it's certainly there are exa- easy examples to find of crony capitalism. Maybe but define more, what crony capitalism yeah, so, is. You know, where we see people um, manipulating the markets, may, you know, and and where uh, there's unfair and uneven exchange, especially on a global level. With you know, it's called globalization, where you know you have the poor coffee farmer. Um, down in you know Latin America, and and uh, he you know and and he's you know he's only getting pennies for his labor. You know he, he's 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 not getting sufficient money from his you know he's forced to sell at a very low price uh, to these corporations, which you know you know and and you know that and of course the, the 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 his product ends up in these you know coffee shops at you know way more. And, and he gets very little of that pie, so to speak, in terms of his own profits. And so the argument is made is that, you know, that, 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 that he's at a disadvantage in the marketplace and, and people are taking advantage of him. And, very, very good. Yeah. So, uh, and like I said, most, most people who are critical of crony capital and some of the strongest critics of crony capitalism are in fact capitalists because they believe that, that in order for capitalism to work well, in the long run, especially, not just the immediate benefits, but in the long run, it's in the best interest to everybody that the markets are run well. Um, so, yeah. While we're on terms and we're defining, um, how would you contrast socialism? And can you actually give us a bit of a definition of socialism and communism? Yeah. So socialism, and like capitalism, it comes in de- degrees. Most forms of socialism have, are involved, especially when it comes to economics. I mean, socialism is primarily a political system, but it has direct economic implications where they control the means of production. And of course, uh, the idea of socialism, which comes out of the modern period, uh, is the idea that uh, in order to protect, uh, especially people in the lower economic classes, it is necessary for the system to be controlled by government. Uh, they control the means of production to ensure that there's that there's economic justice. Um, the more radical versions, of course, is communism, which takes it so far as to eliminate private property. And of course, that was the Marxist idea. And of course, this idea actually goes before Marx or even com- you know you had Jean-Jacques Rousseau, for example, who I wouldn't say technically was a socialist. But certainly some of his ideas have been very influential in the ideas of of socialism and particularly the idea of the abolition of private property. Um, When I when I hear you talking about capitalism and crony capitalism and then socialism um, and looking to protect that, you know, farm worker or the guy who's, you know, selling his coffee beans and things like that. How do you protect the poor in a system like capitalism. Right. 
And here's where I think, I think there are some really good arguments by economists. These are economists who point, I mean, one of, one of them is uh, Hernando de Soto, who is a Peruvian economist. And he wrote a book called The Mystery of Capital. And he did, he, he traveled all over the world in, in, in researching for his book, looking at where these, especially in regions where there's incredible economic disparity, you know, this income inequality. And one of the things he argued was that uh, whenever they tried to, whenever, whenever there was implemented more of a free market system, actually that did more to resolve poverty than these socialist solutions. In fact, I think a very, I think there's a strong historical argument that when we, when we see socialism uh, at work, it rarely works. It rarely, it really produces the desired effects of minimizing income inequality. In fact, what, what, if one looks at history of economics, the actually uh, it's not it's, it's it's with the advent of capitalism. It's with the advent of capitalism that income inequality has been the lowest. Then, when you think about you know mercantile you know mercantilism, which is before capitalism, or even going back into the biblical times, you know in the ancient world, or even in the Greco-Roman times, income inequality was huge. There was the extreme poor and there was the extreme wealthy and there was very little, there was really almost no middle class. And so we, what we've seen with the advent of capitalism is actually a lesson. Now I'm not saying there, you know, that, that there hasn't been problems, but certainly I would argue that when, with socialism, uh, it is not, I mean, Venezuela is a good example. And what's interesting to me is even in examples of socialism that people appeal to like Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, he, the, one of the arguments is often the, the Scandinavian countries, but a lot of people don't realize those Scandinavian countries actually have free markets that are the ones that are successful have freer markets than we do. So now that we've looked at kind of the the three major systems that we yeah. interact with in our current context, now let's kind of talk about the Christian worldview approach to right. economics and money. Um, yeah. How do you see some key principles coming forth from Scripture <clears throat> about you know how we ought to think about these issues? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's important that we disabuse ourselves of a common error that people make in talking about this issue, and that is when they look at the Scriptures, the Old Testament or New Testament, what they fail to understand is that it's a very different economic context. The economic context of the of the Bible is essentially what we call a subsistence agrarian economy. And a subsistence agrarian economy means that what you have, the only way that wealth is distributed is by taking it from somebody else for the most part. I mean, you can grow crops and stuff, but they don't generate that much wealth. And so what you have is when you look at the scriptures and especially, you know, when you read both the Old Testament and New Testament, and it talks about poverty, it often links you know, well, what we see in the scriptures when it comes to poverty is really there's obviously um, uh, abuse uh, by humans, you know, people taking advantage of the poor. Uh, there's, I mean, in Proverbs, we do see this thing about the laziness. Um, and of course, there's even, you know, especially in the ancient world where you're, where you're very susceptible to nature and to, to natural forces, um, you know, there's calamities. So, and I think that should, we should note that that indicates that, you know, there's complex factors involved in poverty, whether we're talking about in the ancient world or today. 
there's no easy solutions. There's no easy explanations. So, but when we think about in terms of the biblical context, uh, it, once again, there's they're not they're not there's no socialism. There's no capitalism. So I think we I think sometimes I hear Christians, well-meaning Christians, appealing to Jesus or the early church has examples of socialism. That's very anachronistic, and, and it's very it's very misunderstood. I mean, it's it's very confused about economics. Um, in so, oh, sorry, yeah. no, go ahead. No, 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 go, no go ahead. I, oh. I, I can well, see a lot more about. One of the yeah. things that um, I've heard a lot is that Jesus was a socialist, and right. you can look at that he healed everyone, or um, like when he had every when he fed the multitude and had everybody sit down, like it was all equal. Um, in Acts two, everybody shared all their possessions together. What is the response to that where it looks like there are socialist some, structures? Or some form of yeah, primitive of, yeah. socialism? Well, uh, certainly I think we see, we see a very strong biblical affirmation of equality, that all human persons equally share in the image of God. And that's a very important political concept. In fact, I think the Judeo-Christian worldview is the explanation for why there is such thing as human rights. In fact, I was just reading just the other day— uh, you know, this idea of trying to come up with a secular account of human rights, it's just, it's just not there. There's no, there's no adequate secular explanation for human rights. So, so on that point, yes, the Bible is very clear in its affirmation that we all equally are equal in terms of human rights. But even we see in Scripture, being equal in terms of our, our fundamental, fundamental rights, so to speak, and of course the Bible doesn't necessarily use that kind of language, but I think it's, it's implicit, it doesn't mean everybody has equal access to goods. Some people are wealthy and some people are not. And we think of some biblical characters, think of Abraham, for example, or David, uh, you know, they had a lot of wealth. Um, so I, 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 don't, I don't see this. I mean, there's, I think there's an acknowledgement in scripture that people aren't born in their, while they are equal in terms of their, their worth and their value and their dignity, it doesn't mean they're equal in terms of their abilities or, or you know, the, the situations they are born in. Some people are born wealthy, some people are born poor, and most people are born poor in the scriptures. I, I think that's a really important point, Mike, and I want to tease that out a little bit more because from based on what I see scripturally is that God doesn't call being poor automatically more righteous than being wealthy. Or he doesn't call being wealthy less righteous than being poor. Rather, we see in Scripture examples of wealthy, righteous people and wealthy, unrighteous people. We see wealthy, poor people, or we see righteous, poor people, and we see unrighteous, poor people. Rather, the Bible just simply acknowledges there is rich, and there there is wealth, and there is is poverty. Yeah. And it doesn't—I don't see in Scripture, and I would love to have you— comment on this any of your thoughts on it but i don't see in scripture a place where it becomes a justice issue that incomes or out or um people need equality of wealth as being part of god's idea of justice he, he makes some free will provisions for the poor under the mosaic law but right. but those are again of people's free will. They're not government forced right. or coerced, coerced right. programs. 
rather God is trying to get us to have moral character so that out of our free will, we want to help the poor, but there isn't, poverty is not a justice issue in scripture, but. Yeah, I would say, I would, I would maybe qualify that a little bit. I would say it's certainly we see a strong, I mean, in the the Torah, the Hebrew scripture, particularly the Mosaic law, certainly, uh, you know, for example, the idea of gleaning that the landowners, and of course the main, main means of wealth and, you know, sustenance is, is it's an agrarian society. So, you know, so the landowners are required by the law to, to leave part of their crops uncollected so that the poor can go and glean them, which to me is a very, it's a, when you think about it, it's a very interesting concept because they still, the, the poor still have to go out and labor. And this is very important. I think this is one that it still advocates that they have to take responsibilities. And I think that's where I have a problem with some of our contemporary welfare programs is that sometimes they remove that, that element of human responsibility. And I think we've seen that, that what, the, what that produces. Uh, with the, for example, just as one example, the homeless crisis. And once again, it's a complex issue, no question about it. And I don't want to suggest that it's simple. But I think there is notably lacking in some of our, in some of our welfare programs a lack, an element of human responsibility. Because that, what that does is that lifts people up. It gives them, says, look, you, we have expectations we're not going to just give you a free check. Uh, and in fact, uh, when we've seen that done, we've seen that implemented in, in not just here in the United States, but worldwide, globally, people have thrived as a result. So, yeah, so I, I think that there's um, certainly the Bible in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, you know, specifically the Mosaic law, there's provisions. And there's, and of course, uh, they're seen as a responsibility in the poor, on the part of the wealthy that in their wealth, they are to give generously um, to the poor. That there's this expectation that they're gonna take care of their neighbor. They're gonna be motivated by a love for their neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, I mean, this is something that carries over into the New Testament. You know, you think of the book of James, particularly, uh, but also in the teachings of Jesus that, uh, you know, if I love my neighbor, then if I see my neighbor hurting or starving or in need, uh, I, I think, you know, that, I'm called to, to, to minister to their, their physical needs. So, you know, so I think that that's certainly there, uh, but I don't think that's anything even close to approximating socialism because socialism is where the government uh, enforces this. And, and frankly, what we've seen is when socialism tries to do that, it's, it's generally not very successful. Uh, in fact, so, one, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, Okay, so coming from a, a background of social work, I have my own thoughts on um, like programs and welfare states and things like that and can agree with you on some of those things. But also when I hear you say like the poor necessarily shouldn't have equal access or wealth doesn't necessarily mean you should have equal access. I'm trying to understand exactly what you're saying because I think um, being created with dignity, value, and worth, but sure. then not having access to something like education. How does right. that work? Because right. to so me, what I see is that capitalism kind of separates out so that some people have access to certain things and then others don't, but everyone is created in the image of God with dignity, value, and worth. So how does right. that right. balance? So I, once again, I think that we have to be very careful when we start saying that I have a right to a certain income. Now, I have, a, I have a right to my basic needs being met, 
But what is, you know, when we talk about what those basic needs are, I, I think we have to be very careful here. Um, because once again, I think what, um, so I, I think when, where I see a lot of people who are kind of, go, who are inclined towards more of a socialist perspective, you know, especially with this contemporary, this current discussion about basic minimum income. Um, I think we, you know, I, I when we start, I, I think we're we're a rights. We're, part of the problem is our culture is obsessed with rights. And once again, yes, we have. There are certain basic human rights that we have, but a lot of things that people are claiming to be rights, and, and not just in terms of economic rights, but I would say even like, for example, I don't have a right to marry uh, somebody because if I had a right to marry somebody, then they would be obligated to marry me. Uh, and to me, that's that was that's a fundamental misconception of rights that I see, for example, in the whole I mean, this is a, a whole nother topic, but you know, the same sex marriage issue. You know, we have to be very careful and we're a rights obsessed culture. And I think we, we get very careful what we identify as rights and what we do not. Uh, uh, I mean, it's not to say those aren't important material or goods that people might should have, you know, should have access to. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think as a society we should. We should uh, want to educate everyone, but the question, we, but the question in my mind is, when we make that a right, and we start saying the government has the obligation to enforce that right, uh, where where do we draw that line? Uh, I think there's a serious argument here about public education, and and I know it's a complicated issue, and I certainly, I think we're, we're kind of stuck with public education, but what we're seeing in that today is because of public education. Uh, which does not, which is not neutral when it comes to religious values and beliefs. And so it creates these problems. And that's why I say the more we expand government, the more we, and the more rights we create for people, uh, the more encroachment there is on people. And, the, and we, and especially in a pluralistic society like we live in, then we run into trouble. We run into problems. And I'm saying this not just as an evangelical Christian. But think about this in regards to Muslims, for example, or Buddhists or Hindus. Um, you know, shouldn't their values be reflected in their education? Um, so, so that's why I say it, 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 this gets really, really um, tricky. And, and that's why, you know, I, I, that's why when I think you look at the, found, the founders of this country, they're trying to walk a very fine line and trying to create balance between how much power do we give government and how much freedom do we give people? You know, if you go extreme one way or the other, extreme freedom, you know, where people have right to do anything they, or, uh, you know, give them the right to do anything they want to do or freedom they want to do, that creates anarchy. Uh, on the other side, you know, we've seen what happens when the government, you know, that, they were, and the, once again, the founding fathers were trying to get away from a tyranny. And I think the Soviet Union is, is a classic example of what happens, you know, where the idea of communism is, is implemented. Or North Korea is another good example. In Venezuela, we're seeing that in Venezuela as well. Uh, in fact, it's, I, I was in a discussion, we were, they were talking about China, and I said, look, it, isn't it interesting? Here's China, you know, under the, you know, under that philosophy of Mao, communism, and yet they've had to implement capitalism. The reason why China is flourishing economically is, is directly the result of their use of capitalism. I think I want to just make sure that before we get too far afield here, that we're clear sure. on some biblical worldview issues right. and, and then tackle that. So I want to summarize some things that we've said. 
um, from a biblical standpoint. One is, I think, and you just briefly alluded to this, but the issue of hard work is very much, I think, part of the Christian worldview when it comes to economics. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about laziness and um, how laziness is not a virtue. Hard work is is a virtue, and, and right. it's something that the principle, I think, biblically also of sowing and reaping, that that people have an obligation to sow into something and then reap something of their own efforts, yeah. um, and that even the poor, um, everyone is created with equal dignity, value, and worth, but not everyone is born into the same circumstances financially. Right but that even the poor are expected to engage in the principle of sowing and reaping, that the, the gleaning principle is there to, as a provision for them, but they still have to go out and do the work. Right. Um, I think it's also important of loving our neighbor is that if we see someone in genuine need, someone who is maybe handicapped or disabled or not able to work, that we have an obligation as Christians out of love for them to help provide for their needs. But we also want to always be mindful of the work principle of, because that is inherent and intrinsic to their dignity as human persons. So to me, those are some general kind of worldview principles that I see in play from scripture. And -hmm. I guess what I'm wondering, Mike, and you're kind of alluding to this, but which of the three systems that, that we've talked about, it helps to, foster those values in the, in the best way. Is that capitalism or some version of principled capitalism? Is that socialism or communism? Yeah, I, I would call it, I would call it compassionate capitalism. And that is, I think compa- capitalism has to be conjoined with moral virtue, in, in, including compassion. Um, one thing I would throw in there as well, and, and I think when we take seriously the biblical doctrine of sin, and I think that is a factor, and it works actually works in two different ways. Because uh, I think, frankly, uh, one thing I do appreciate about Marx and some of these uh, and some and, and others who who are prone to socialism and their criticisms of of capitalism and of just our present political system. I, I think there. I think we have to take seriously this idea of structural evil. And there's been a tendency by those of who are favoring capitalism. And favoring, you know, kind of the, the individualism, rugged individualism. But I think we have neglected this idea of structural evil. And that, and I think particularly when you look at, say, the African-American community, um, and, and I would say even the Latino community, um, without getting into the whole immigration issue, I, I think certainly there are people who grow up in di- very poor neighborhoods, poor school, you know, failing schools, and we have to address some of these things on a systemic level, mm-hmm. not just an individual level. And so I think, I think the biblical, I think the biblical affirmations and description of sin is that yes, sin is first, uh, you know, result of individual choices, but it also affects and impacts our social structures. You know, just think, I just think of the, you know, the various pagan kingdoms and, and how those things work. And so I, I think we do have to listen somewhat to the criticisms of, of some of the, those who are drawn to more socialism to say, yeah, we need to do some things on a social level as well. It's not just individual choices. I mean, I have met people, and I'm sure you guys have as well, 
who just, you know, they want to work, but they just, everything's against them. It's an uphill battle. And a lot of people I've met who've given up is because they've tried and it just, in fact, uh, I would recommend if anybody's interested, there's a great video series put out by the Acton Institute. And they're a very good organization. They do a lot of work. They are free market, they favor free market approach. Uh, they're, um, but they did a, ser- a, do a video series called Poverty Cure. And some of the things they show is how they, when they introduce capitalism in some of these third developing countries, these third world countries, it's amazing. In a country, and these are countries that have typically gotten a lot of uh, relief, you know, and most of it's wasted. In fact, some of it actually encumbers them and hinders them from actually creating, you know, generating their own wealth. And I I think it's interesting that even like one of the newer things in missions right now is microfinancing yes. and people are all about yeah. microfinancing and basically helping people in the third world start their own businesses. I've told Monique before, I said, that's just, that's just introducing the idea of capitalism, which in, in my view, it, it approaches a better, more permanent long-term solution to poverty than just giving people handouts. Monique wanted to say something. Yeah. Ooh, you are saying a lot. And I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in my feelings a little bit. Because I think, um, yes, I I can hold some capitalist views. Like I, like I said, I think the idea of small business and, you know, venturing out and doing that and seeing the benefit of that. And, um, but at the same time, the systemic issues that you talk about and the, the problem with sin and evil in structures Yes. Also weighs heavy on my heart, and that leads me toward socialism. That yeah. leads me toward a more socialist mindset because I'm like, we can't be so capitalistic that we forget the poor. Right, well, and, and that's that, kind yeah. of when I hear people who speak about capitalism, I feel like they they often speak about me, the me, and the my, and right. this is what I can do, and it's and you know eventually things will trickle down to the poor. And so I'm I'm just really, to be honest, wrestling with this idea of no, like they're like, are we just okay with things just trickling down to the poor or almost like a caste system? You were born into this. And so there's really no way for you to get out of it unless things trickle down to you enough. Yeah. Well, I think, frankly, when you look at history, uh, I think it's that trickle down effect that's actually produced the greatest impact in getting people out of poverty. And not just not just here in America, but I mean worldwide. Uh, the countries that have, if you look at the countries that have introduced capitalist reforms. Now, once again, I'm not advocating laissez-faire capitalism. I'm not saying it's unconstrained and that there, you know, there is a role for government. You know, I'm not I'm not an anarchist. I'm not, you know, I think there's a role for government here. I think it's limited, but I think it's important. And I think that, uh, especially in terms of fraud and abuse. But when I think capitalism is allowed, that those economic forces are allowed to work, people flourish much more than when, when, when government, I mean, just like when you look at these developing countries who ha, are in, incredibly, you know, they, they are given, I mean, just to, I'll, give, I'll give one example. There's a story of a, a real simple example of a, of a tribe in Africa who uh, one, of the, one of the villagers decided to start uh, raising chickens and, and providing eggs to the village. And he started, he st- he was, you know, one of these, you know, starting his own little company and he was being very successful over several years. It grew, the company grew, he was able to sell eggs, provided eggs to the, com- 
Well, a church in the United States heard about these poor people in Africa and decided they were going to help out. So one of the things they decided to give, send to this community, was food, including eggs. Well, this guy can't compete against free eggs. So, you know, so they, you know, over that year, they were sending, they were, you know, providing free eggs to this village and he went out of business. Well, the next year that that church decided to take on another mission project. They stopped sending the eggs. So the village now is has no eggs and, and, and they're stuck. And I, I think that's a good illustration. And, and there's been several books written on this about how sometimes people with the, you know, with the best of motives in giving actually hurt. They actually hurt the people they're trying to help. And, and that's, and, and frankly, like I said, and, and this is a generalization that most of the time when we allow people to take, you know, to take on, I mean, because they want to, I find we have, we have some missionaries that come to our church who are working with these mountain people in Haiti. These, these mountain people want, they don't want handouts. They just want to help up. I mean, they want people to, you know, they want uh, some, you know, some things, but they want to, they want to build their community. They want to build the structures. They don't want somebody coming in and doing it for them. And I think that that goes back to the idea that we are created by God to want to labor. And I think that's the same way I've talked to people here in the United States who come from very diff, you know, from very poor neighborhoods. And when they are given the opportunity to get a job and to, and to, to have their own paycheck it changes them. It changes them. And I think we, what we're seeing in terms of the welfare state is creating multi-generations of people who are, who are dehumanized in a sense. And that's my question to Monique as she works with the homeless. She's a program director at yeah. a center that helps the, the, I would call the underemployed, the working poor and homeless people. And the de-incentivizing because of getting the free things it, it, I always am wondering, where's the justice for those people that then their dignity, because I believe as part of the created order that God has created us to work. If people are able-bodied, but we've de-incentivized work, um, it, are we actually doing an injustice to them? Yeah. And no, when, we, when we create multiple generations that are dependent on entitlement programs or welfare does that itself become an unjust system? Yeah. I have a former student who he's African-American um, and he was discouraged by his friends and some of his family from getting a college degree. They said, well, why are you doing this? You can just stay home and collect food stamps and welfare. You know, and, and he was, that really bothered him. You know, that kind of mentality because it's, it's not, and these people are not flourishing. I mean, they may be, you know, they may be living, free, you know, off the system, but they're not flourishing as humans, I don't think. But I would also say, you know, going back to the homeless situation, I mean, certainly just giving jobs to people isn't this whole solution because there are people out there who have significant mental health issues and, and substance abuse problems. So, you know, we're not saying this is, it's, you know, capitalism is the, it's the solution to all the problems. You know, if we just, you know, uh, we just do, you know, we just in, in, instill these, these capitalist programs that every, all the problems will go away. Once again, and for me, here's another argument I would give in favor of capitalism. I think the strength of cap, one of the strengths of capitalism is it decentralizes power. In socialism, and particularly communism, power is centralized. 
Yeah. In fact, what we see going back to the Soviet Union was not that all people were equal. Uh, Wealth was not equally distributed. In fact, what you had was incredible income inequality. What you had was the very, the elite in in the Soviet Union were living very, very well. Majority, almost everybody else was incredible poverty. And, and, and had no freedoms. And I think that's, that's a stark contrast to, I think, what we can see in terms of where you, when you decentralize power. And, and, and that's where I, you know, even if you have people in power, you know, let's suppose for the sake of argument, Bernie Sanders is a benevolent guy and he becomes president. But what's to say if once these, you know, socialist reforms are put into place, <laughs> sorry, what happens when the next guy isn't so benevolent? You see, so the more I think when you get these socialist systems and you give people a lot of and select few a lot of power, namely those in the government, that is prone to that's really ripe for abuse, much more so than I think with capitalism. Yes, there has been abuse in capitalism. You know, the name Bernie Madoff, Enron. Okay, yeah, certainly. But when you think about the vast majority of people in the business world and even corporations, I know it's easy to just label them all evil, but um, those core, you know, majority of people in the corporations um, are good people. They do the right thing, and uh, and it's and once again, nobody has. Even though Disney's trying to change this, not to pick on Disney, but you know, nobody has a monopoly. Nobody's able to have that kind of control in the capital system. Why? Because of the, of the economic exchanges, and that's why I think once again, there's a need for certain government control to prevent monopolies. So we got some questions coming in on our live chat, Mike. So let's go to start kind of whittling our way through some of these. This is good. And I am learning a lot. So thank you. (laughs) Um, My friend, Xi Ching, who um, attends our church, uh, Mm -hmm. is has a couple of questions. She's a very thoughtful person. She's an attorney and also has a background in science. I believe she says, can you describe the economic system of the Old Testament and what aspects of that might be applicable to current American economics? Yeah, so one, one analogy that a lot of economists use, and I think it's a very easy analogy to relate to, is under the, in, the old, in the ancient world, up until the modern period, up until the advent of capitalism, um, mercantilism modifies a little bit, but the idea is that the wealth that exists is what we call a zero-sum game. And think of it as a, as a one piece of pie. I mean, one whole pie, I should say. And so if you take a bigger slice, that means somebody else gets a smaller slice. But the, and, and you can, you know, the, but the, it's a set amount. Um, and with capitalism, what it does, it's ingenious, is it has this create the generation of wealth. We create wealth. We don't have a set amount. It's not a zero-sum game. So, you know, so for example, I mean, just to use a biblical example, how Abraham got wealthy was he conquered other people. And uh, which raises, I think, some interesting biblical and theological questions that we're not going to get into. But, but I mean, certainly, I mean, that's how you get wealth. Um, and even in the mercantile system, that's what, and that's what particularly uh, Adam Smith was critiquing. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, I was always fascinated with pirates, right? You know, and you read the story, and if you studied history, you know, you have the, these navies and they're, and they're the British Navy and the French Navy are always battling out the Dutch and the Portuguese. And well, because it's all about trying to get who has the most gold and the most, you know, wealthy stuff. It's, it's a zero sum game. 
With capitalism, you generate wealth. It's not just, it's not a set amount. Instead, so instead of just having one pie, we can make more pies. And we're encouraging people to make more pies. Right? So, so, how do, how, so maybe help tie that back to the Old Testament and Xi Qing's question. Like, how does yeah. that, how does that tie into the, the, the Old Testament law? Right. So, so if you have, you, you don't, you know, so for the poor, the only way, I mean, they are um, very limited in what they can do to change their economic situation. Um, and obviously with the Mosaic law, you have with Jews, particularly, you have this idea of year of Jubilee, you know, so if you're really poor, you can put yourself in slavery, you know, you put yourself as indentured servant to a fellow Jew. And after, you know, and the year of Jubilee, you were released. So that was a way to kind of get people back out there, you know, and, uh, but you're, 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 it's very difficult if you're poor to kind of build yourself up or to build up any kind of generate any kind of wealth to, 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 to change your economic status. Um, unless you conquer some territory, you seize some land or, you know, by growing crops. But once again, your crops are, you know, you're, you're limited in what kind of, you know, you depend upon land. If you don't have any land, it's hard to grow crops. So it's, it's very, very restrictive in what you can do uh, to change you know, from being in a status of poor. And, and once again, most people in the ancient world are poor, very poor. Uh, I mean, you know, most of the people in the ancient world didn't eat meat on a regular basis because they couldn't afford to. Um, so she has a follow-up question here. She yeah. says in the Old Testament, the opportunities we were talking about earlier about glean, the poor could go glean from the fields. Right. How would that maybe translate to the modern day context. Monique and I have had some conversations yeah. about this because kind of my theory of interpreting the Old Testament law mm-hmm. is in is trying to discern what is the the transcultural kind of transcendent moral principle behind the law. When the law is telling me how to love my neighbor, sure. it's telling me how to do that in that context of the ancient Near East. But how does that translate that transcultural thing come into my context today? Yeah. How might we see the principle of gleaning um, yeah. coming into our context? Well, let me give you a real specific example. At, at the university I teach, Multnomah University, we actually have a veterans resource center. And, and we've been in the last couple of years have developed mostly through the work of some few individuals who are meeting with different uh, grocery stores and uh, bakeries and stuff. And there's a lot, I mean, I remember when I worked in a grocery store, there's a lot that gets thrown away. Unfortunately. It's an unreal, unfortunate thing. Well, now they've, we've they've been able to change some of the laws that, so that they're, these, they're not subject to litigation. So we would actually get, we get like, you know, day old bread, uh, that kind of stuff. That's perfectly good. And we have it available. We put it in the food pantry for people who are struggling, you know, students and families, um, and, uh, so this is a way for them, you know, get access, you know, to help them in their, in their, as their, you know, especially with college students, you know, the starving student, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And uh, this is a way to kind of help them out. This is food that would have been thrown out, you know, and, you know, and, and, and I think it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, I think from a, a sociology or a social work perspective, there are programs that are out there to help the poor 
that would be similar to gleaning um, an organization I used to work for where people needed to work in order to receive the benefit that came along with that program. Um, I think of the place where I work now, which eh, hit and miss, but you do need to go there. Um, I think there's, there's tons of areas where a lot of Christian benevolent organizations could really, I think, relook at how we um, how we do things like giving to the poor and the dignity of work and all of yep. that. But um, there well, are you- teaching. There are programs out there. I know of for sure that um, would be c- could be considered more of a modern day gleaning. Yeah. In fact, I recommend I don't know if you've read uh, The Tragedy of American Compassion by Marvin Olasky. I've recommended that book to her yeah. several times. Yeah. Yes. And, he, and, and they, you know, they point out how prior to the New Deal, almost all poverty was addressed and, you know, it was, was handled by churches. And, you know, one of the things that they required them that a lot of these, uh, these, you know, the, the pantries and the, and the, and the shelters, they would require the people to work. They went in, you know, yeah, they would give, you know, give them a place to sleep and give them food. But they also, because they wanted them to learn good working skills. And, you know, we see that today as well. I, I have friends that work at different uh, rescue missions and stuff. And, you know, like, like you, Monique. And, and you know, th- this is a way to encourage them to take, you know, to, to you know, because you're appealing, you know, you're, I think there's something about us as humans. We don't want to just sit around and watch TV all day. I mean, yeah, there are times I like to do that, but. You know, we need to have something to, you know, we need to have some kind of vocation. And, you know, and so I think there's way, there's some real practical ways we can do that, that really lift people up and and brings up, you know, because I, I, there's some incredibly, I've met people who are very poor, who are incredibly gifted, talented. They just never had the opportunity to, to because of their economic situation, they've never been able to chance to, to develop those skills. So, yeah, I, um, our friend uh, Susanna, who is another person I know from my church, actually, it's interesting to me. Um, she has a comment about her grandfather being imprisoned for being a capitalist. His property and livestock were seized in the Ukraine in the late 30s. And her father was always very fearful of socialism in the U.S. I think it's interesting that many people who immigrate here from socialist countries yeah. They don't see socialism as a great system oftentimes. I, I have known a number of people from Eastern European countries and who are frankly very troubled by, especially this is a largely a youth movement or these millennial, you know, the millennial age and, and these generations that are, that are, they're eager. I mean, you look at the Pew surveys and stuff and it just, it just seems like they're very open to it. And I talked to people from, yeah, like from former Soviet Union or Eastern Europe and they're very troubled by this. They do, do, and I had a guy tell me, he says, don't these, pe- don't these young people realize, don't they know history? And a lot of them don't. That's part of the problem. I mean, not to get too political here, but uh, I, I've seen a video clip with Bernie Sanders praising the, the glories of the Soviet Union. Now, I don't, I'm sure he's probably, he probably has changed his mind on that. But this was back in, I guess, in the 70s. And I'm thinking, really? Uh, man, I th- that is incredibly naive in my judgment. I have a question. Speaking of um, kind of going back to the conversation we had the last time you were on and people not really being um, aware of things that are happening and a lot of or aware biblically of like what the Bible says and things like that. Do you two questions? It's a two parter. Um, 
do you think that there is a rise of the acceptance of socialism in the church? One and two, if you do, do you think that comes from pastors not being completely aware of what the Bible says about capitalism or capitalist views or the dignity of work or things like that? Well, yeah, I think certainly um, I think there's uh, a lack of economic understanding by a lot of people in the Christian community. Uh, I, I don't want to say that, you know, if you're intelligent and you've studied these issues, that you're, you're going to be anti-socialist. I mean, I've, I've read some people who are very thoughtful Christians who, who advocate, who, who think socialism is the better way to go. I think they're wrong, but I respect them. I think they've thought about it. But the majority of people I encounter who are advocates of socialism, I find are really not, are, are not well informed, have not studied the history of socialism. They don't understand economics very well for the most part. No, on the other hand, I think the same can be said about capitalism. I think uh, there are a lot of people who are motivated towards capitalism because they want to hold on to their stock. So I think there's both sides are, have been, I think there's a general lack of, of economic understanding in this country. And, uh, you know, and I mean, just to kind of tie in this a little bit, uh, well, how I got into this was really through business ethics. And what I've discovered is people in the business community that I've met who are Christians uh, have told me, I mean, I've had numerous conversations with businessmen, businessmen and women, I should say, who are Christians. They know what it means to be a Christian. They've been a Christian for a long time and they, they know how to run a business. But the problem is they find, especially on Sunday mornings, is they don't see much integration between business world and their faith. And that's, I think, a huge problem. And I think that contributes to this, this, this overall kind of ignorance that's out there in the Christian community. Um, you know, and part of it too is I think um, you know, with groups that are kind of lean to the left, evangelical groups like, you know, um, you know, kind of uh, what they call the evangelical left. I think in some ways they're what I, I think they are reacting to. I think kind of this tendency that American evangelicals have had to want to, you know, wrap ourselves around the flag and, 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 to, and to, to interpret Christianity you know, you know, almost like the idea of Jesus is a Republican. And I met people who believe that or, you know, or the, what I call the Christian America thesis, uh, you know, that, that which is really way, way too simplistic. It doesn't recognize. It. So there's so I think that part of this is there's just a lot of mis, misunderstanding and, and ignorance, frankly. And I think in the church, we need to do a better job of uh, educating people. But of I, course, like I said, and this goes back to the previous podcast. Uh, some of this should be addressed in our seminaries and they're not, or, or a lot of guys that aren't, even if they are addressed in our seminaries, we have a lot of people leading churches that don't have any kind of formal theological training. So I, th- I want to commend people. Again, you mentioned a resource earlier along these lines is the Acton Institute. Yeah. I actually, back when we were in seminary, um, participated in like some kind of writing contest and I won going yeah. to a week long intensive at the Acton Institute and I love their work, and I always am advocating for them. I think that yeah. they're trying to figure out, they're trying to wrestle with questions of what we now call social justice and poverty yeah. issues, but from within a free market context and yeah. a principled capitalist context. And so it's run by Father Robert Sirico. He's a Catholic priest, but they partner with with both Catholics and Protestants yeah. and even Jews. I mean, there's people that share this, this yeah. ethics. Oh, great. My husband's on yeah. it. He's got a yeah, screen. Up. Yeah. Some good stuff. They even have small group studies 
And I think that there's something to be said for increasing our awareness because so many people in churches are bit small business owners. Right. All of us have to deal with money. The financial piece has made its way into a lot of churches, but we need more conversations about money because God has a lot to say about money and economics and poverty. And we, we shouldn't allow the culture to tell Christians yes. how to think right. the church and our pastors need to be leaders and be a prophetic voice to help the people understand what is the historic Christian worldview have to say about these things. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that you came on the show to talk to us about it. And just to start this conversation, I'd love to have you back sometime to talk about the whole America Republican um, yeah. wrapping Jesus in the American flag issue, because I think that could be a whole other. Oh, you can get a lot said on that. Discussion, but I want to kind of. All right. Yeah, okay. we're, gonna, we're like so over time. We are so over time, but there's a question that I've been wanting People to, are more to ask, and it came through yeah. from Xi Ching, and she says, what would compassionate social capitalism, I'm sorry, what would compassionate right. capitalism look like? Can you give us a few words or thoughts on right. what it would look like? Well, and let me just throw, I think an important term we haven't brought up yet, that's the idea of stewardship. Mm. That we look at everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that's around us is God's. It's not ours, it's God's. And we are stewards of that. So when I look at that, when it comes to wealth, and I, and I, and I take that and I'm motivated by my love for my neighbor. And if I really truly love my neighbor, then I'm going to be compassionate, especially when my neighbor is suffering and struggling. And, you know, I, I, it's hard for me here in Portland when, I, I mean, everywhere I go, there's, there's homeless people and it's, it, it's overwhelming to be, to be honest. And I, I wish we could do something about that. And, you know, Portland being very progressive and, you know, and they, they just throw money at it and it's just gotten worse, not better. And I think it's true, not just about Portland, but San Francisco, Seattle, and I think LA as well. And I think that should tell us something that it has to, it has to come. It has, it's not just about, as well-meaning as some of those programs are, people have to change their attitude about money, about wealth, and about their neighbor. And I think that's really key here. That when I see that what I have is not mine, but God's, that I've been given the responsibility to, to take care of and to use well, and I see my neighbor suffering, then I think that's going to change my how I how I deal with people who are, you know, how I deal with people in the, in, the, in the, who are poor or who are homeless. And so that, you know, that should be, I think it's, I think it really boils down to that issue of attitude. Uh, that has to start, that's the starting point. And once again, um, there's been some questions about, you know, whether or not the U S or Canada has a pure capitalist system. And we said at the very beginning of the interview that what we're talking about here is we're setting aside what's called laissez-faire capitalism and, and saying there is a role for government in right. protecting the people, protecting from coercion and fraud and these yeah. sorts of things. But yeah. the other issue that I think is really coming forward in all of this is the heart. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we, we have to understand um, capitalism works best when people are decent people yeah. um, and that they're decent to one another. And yeah, capitalism can get really um, difficult when there's a lot of corruption and crony capitalism, but capitalism as a whole, I think, rests on better principles um, 
than socialism. I'm somewhat yeah. persuaded that some form of compassionate co- capitalism, uh, principled capitalism, is a better system, although imperfect system, yeah. but a better system than than the alternatives. Yeah, and there's no there's no perfect political system or economic system because it all involves humans, and we're all fallen and fallible, and you know. So, to me, it's a question: is which one is the most least susceptible? The human depravity, and I would say capitalism is easily. Uh, you know, well, it's so. been a great conversation, Mike. The chat box has been yeah. more active on this discussion than we've ever had on the show. So, oh wow, okay, it's it's great. Uh, many many comments. People are having some good back and forth in there, and we yes. tried to hit the the major questions that that came up. But thank you everyone for weighing in. Yes, and thanks yes. so much. It's been a great discussion. Well, may the um, conversation continue. Yes, I, I would love to have you back and continue some yes. of these these themes because there's so much here to really unpack and um, uh, so much to learn, and especially looking at it from a historic Christian worldview and mindset. And how do we, like you said, with the transcultural um, thoughts and perspectives, how do we bring? the principles that were then into today in scripture into today and live that out. And um, yeah, I think the, my biggest problem with capitalism is humans and my, (laughs) my probably not so um, what's the word that I'm looking for. I don't have a lot of trust, I guess I would say in humans to, to work a system that would be fair for not even fair for everyone, but that would truly love their neighbor. Um, But I think from this conversation, I can also say that, yeah, socialism definitely isn't the way to go um, when I look at things like the dignity of work and I, and yeah. how people um, are treated in their own self-worth. So I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't come and give us an economic system to cure poverty. He came and brought us the gospel yeah. and he told us to love each other better and that if we really wanted to show our obedience to him that we would love each other better, but that it's a, essentially he's inviting us into a free will situation. He didn't, he didn't come to establish a government program or a better economic system. He called his people to demonstrate their true identity by loving their neighbor better. And I think that it's hard when we live in a secular society, pluralistic society, what does that begin to look like? Mm -hmm. But it hopefully if we're doing our job as Christians, we should be standing out from the culture. Yes, and leading and showing this yeah. is the way that really does work. Yeah, I call it I call it being a redemptive presence. You know, and that's yeah, and that's why we need Christians not just in the pulpit and in our churches. We need people Christians in the business world, lawyers, doctors, being redemptive in their in their presence in the world. That's how change is going to happen to the positive. And of course, we know there is no utopia until Christ comes back. That that's no right. no human social kind you know social uh political system is going to solve these problems uh we can try to make it better but until Christ, it, it's you know it, it just we don't have the ability to resolve these things yeah um, because it's you know mike you have come through with the wisdom and you have just put the smack down today i have been schooled i have learned a lot and thank you thank you so much um i've got a lot to think about and okay. yeah, just how I interact with people like at work and how I interact in small business. And yeah, yeah. what does that really look like from a godly standpoint um, and something that has, 
you know, ancient, ancient thought process behind it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for for having me. Being my friend and coming on here and doing this with us. <laughs> Don't get offended if I call you Mike Mike. It's a little Mike thing just Mike. between you and I. Mike Mike. Yes. Just don't call me Mike Squared, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Take care, All take right, care my friend. Day. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Man, that was deep. We are way over time. We, went, we talked Man. to him for an hour. We, yeah, yeah, one hour exactly right okay. now. All right. Um, yeah, we we should probably say, wow, thank you guys for hanging in there and yeah. staying in and like keeping the chat box going. Yeah. Goodness. Um, All right, let's talk about Benny Hinn. Ooh. We just can't leave. No, we cannot. Because we're on the topic of money. Yes. Let's just ride it all yes. the way. Okay. Yes. So some people may have seen the, the clip running around social media this week. Benny Hinn uh, making a confession that he's no longer going to be advocating for the what's called the prosperity gospel. Yes. Give me twenty nine ninety five. I will buy a jet and send you a sweat cloth. Yes. Shonda. Sorry. Yes. Okay. It is Monique would say every every uh black grandma is sending their money to the word faith. When I was growing up, everybody was giving money to to um to Bishop what's his name? Um Price. Price. Oh, Fred Price. Um, Fred Price. Um the the one J- John Duplantis. Oh yeah. Or Jesse, Jesse Duplantis. Duplantis. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um there's another one. There's a couple that people were just I got to give my money here, you know, I got to go on and give my money there. I got to make sure and I'd be like trying to buy the blessings of God. I don't even know if they were trying to buy the blessings of God. I really think that there was a a heart attitude of wanting to participate in this ministry. To me, I'm just like, they selling you a sweat cloth, (laughs) but because like people would be like, you know, I'm going to pray over this cloth and I'm going to mail it to you and all that stuff. Well, Benny Hinn is a, is a, one of these televangelists. Oh, there's Mike. All right. Don't worry about that. Don't look over there. Um, So he's one of these televangelists you see a lot on Trinity Broadcasting Network and others. And he's with the lady with the pink hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think she's passed now, though. Oh, that. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. So anyways, he's always talking about tying money and giving to the blessings of God. So let's listen to a little excerpt from this clip here and then we'll talk about it. the gospel that's buying the blessing that's grieving the holy spirit yeah go back that's about all i will rewind here a little bit stand by if you are not giving thousand break if i hear one more time break the back of debt with a thousand dollars i'm gonna rebuke them I, i i think that's buying the gospel that's buying the blessing that's grieving the Holy Spirit. That's about all I will say. If you are not giving because you love Jesus, don't bother giving. I think giving has become such a gimmick, it's making me sick to my stomach. And I've been sick for a while too, I just couldn't say it. And now the lid is off had it 
You know why? I don't want to get to heaven and be rebuked. No, I think it's time we say it like it is. The gospel is not for sale. And the blessings of God are not for sale. And miracles are not for sale. And prosperity is not for sale. All right. right. Well, there it is. He's just laying it out there. Yes. So let's talk about about this a little bit. I think that it's interesting that he's saying, you know, he's not going to be asking people anymore to send $1,000 to break the back of debt. But if you want to break the back of debt and send me $1,000, you go ahead and let the Lord use you. I'm putting it out there. (laughs) Just going to go ahead and say that. So uh, I also think it's interesting that Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi Hinn, who used to be one of his right-hand people and literally would be one of those people Mm -hmm. that would catch people when they would fall down and get slain in the spirit at Benny Hinn's crusades, uh, is now a very outspoken um, opponent of -hmm. his uncle and has come out of this prosperity gospel teaching Mm -hmm. and has really um, been quite outspoken in inviting his uncle to, to repent. And so some people have speculated like, Oh, is that part of what's happening here? Like maybe Costi's efforts have reached his uncle. I don't know what the backstory is. Mm -hmm. I would love to find the whole video, the context of these statements. They're not, I can't find the whole message. It's just this clip that has been making the rounds this week. So I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts about this? Do you think this is credible? I don't know. And I don't really know that I care to know because the way that I came about seeing this video was someone else posted it and was immediately just dogging it and was like, this is not real. It's a fake. And this is fake. He's just doing this to get more money. And I'm just like, whoa. Like, we're the body of Christ. We need to believe the best about each other. And if he says that he's repenting, then I'm going to say, hey, okay, praise God. Like, trying to get people, everybody to give you $1,000 for you to buy your jet. You know, like, he said that he repented until until I see otherwise. I can't say that he didn't. I don't know his heart. And so, yeah, I I think that's where I have to leave it. Until he comes back and says... Give me 1995 so I can, you know, mail you something, mail you something, some anointing oil and, you know, buy my new house. I don't know. I just I don't know that I want to be in a place or posture myself to be in a place that like I'm now judging and saying, yeah. no, nah, that's not real. So kind of pulling from First Corinthians 13, you're part of what I hear you saying there is that love. One of the features of love is that it believes all things. And so you're just taking it at face value. Benny, you know, if you're trying to repent from this errant doctrine, take it at face value and and until we see kind of fruit to the contrary. Yeah. And I, I think it's a little bit sad that people are like so quick to to judge him. I look, I don't know Benny Hinn. I got no invest, invested interest in it. But at least like maybe he's going down the right direction. Maybe some people have been talking to him. I think it's if it's sincere, it's very brave uh, yeah. that he's speaking up in a world where this is the party line. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how you teach. Mm-hmm. And 
if he is starting to rethink his position, if that's real, and him speaking out on this, I think it's incredibly brave. I think it's brave, too. And I also think that it could be a testament to the power of prayer. And because I know that there are people praying for him. I know that there are people praying against um, this this doctrine or, you know, like that that the prosperity gospel would stop enslaving many and tricking many. Now, I think that it's also important to talk about kind of the nature of repentance. Mm-hmm. Like the word repentance has this idea that it's a it's a turnaround. It's like a 180 degree turnaround. And and I always when I teach on repentance, I always talk about how it starts with a change of our mind. We've we, we've we're thinking a particular way and now we've changed our mind about something and we're going to think differently. And then as a result of the changing of our mind, it leads to a changing in our behaviors. Um, Jesus says to uh, the Pharisees, he calls them to repentance and he says, and, and you ought to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so the idea is that if you truly repent, if you truly change your mind, that should lead to change behaviors. And that that is the fruit that we ought to look for. And I completely agree. I, in this case, though, don't know that he's had time. People were dogging his video before whoever recorded it even pressed pause. I'm like, can y'all let the video cool down? Can the person put the phone down who recorded it before you start saying that it's fraud? Yeah. You know, just just give him a give him a little breathing room. Get, let him like let him settle in. I'm sure he's had some backlash. Like if his heart is really to say, you know, no, this isn't the way. All of the other people who are out there making their millions on the backs of other people might be coming for him. Like, yeah. hey, give him a second. I I just don't I don't know. Like, it, yes, you need to um, do the works worthy of the repentance. Yes. But dang, it's only been three days. How much work can he do? Well, let's look at a little scripture passage. It was reminiscent for me of the story of Zacchaeus, which we always just talk about. Oh, he must be a short guy who likes to try and climb trees. But it's actually a very profound story. And Jesus um, goes to Jericho. He meets this tax collector named Zacchaeus, who's very wealthy. And he he says here in, in verse 8, I mean, his heart is just immediately captured by Jesus's teaching. And he says, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I pay, I will pay back four times the amount. And this is very significant because in the Old Testament law, it only required uh, thieves to pay back two times the amount. But for, for Zacchaeus, he really wants to demonstrate how truly repentant Mm -hmm. he is, that he's changed his mind. So he says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor and I'm going to pay back four times what I've cheated people out of. And I think that this shows a very important connection between uh, of what the biblical idea of repentance is, is that you change your mind that leads to changed behaviors and a life of holiness or conformity to God's law. Yeah. And in this case, Zacchaeus even goes above God's law and says, like, I'm going to even do do more. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. And what Jesus is saying there is that that this man, that some people would have questioned his salvation. 
And now he's saying he's a true son of Abraham. Mm -hmm. He's demonstrating that he has real faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important that, that we allow Benny Hinn to, like you said, have some, have some breathing space. Like, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's look for some fruit in, in his life and to see what repentance might look like. I mean, I'm not in a position to judge, but I mean, maybe he might, downscale his living situation maybe he might maybe. sell one of his houses i don't know um maybe he might not wear three thousand dollar suits anymore uh, <laughs> the repentance suit you wearing bro <laughs> you know these are but all just ideas th- those are all just ideas and it's not to say even like we were talking about um in the capitalism piece it's not to say that there's anything wrong with being wealthy right but the idea that you use trickery to get your wealth, I think that's the problem. And in the case with Zacchaeus and using um, thievery, like thievery yeah. to to get your wealth is a problem. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe. I mean, if all of the prosperity preachers who were, you know, going around taking people sixty nine ninety five, see how it's gone up from twenty nine ninety five. And in um, Benny Hinsel, it's a thousand dollars. Break well, the back of debt. Give me a thousand dollars. Yeah, there's that. You know, so. It, I mean, can you imagine if not that he even went back to every donor that ever donated, but decided to invest that in a community or to donate that to some to X, you know, to create not an entitlement program, but a program that really worked to work with others on the dignity of work. Yeah. Even. Yeah. You know, how far that could go. But Benny, again, I want to encourage you. Call Monique. She'll help you with some social programs that won't violate the dignity of humans. You got that Just right. Call call her right now. You can find her at the real Monique D on Twitter. Just just go ahead. We'll wait for you. Just just tweet her right now, Benny. Okay. Yeah. He's going to be contacting you very soon. There's that. <laughs> There's that. All right. All right. Fun with Benny Hinn. No, I do wish him well, and I do I do hope it's sincere. We'll see what the fruit is and what's forthcoming. But I want to believe all things, and I think that. Um, repentance is an important concept of scripture, turning away from our sins and, yeah. and looking for fruit and letting Benny uh, do that. Okay. It's late. Do we still want to do the tweet? Yes. All right. We will do the tweet of the week. Oh, wow. This is that one time when we had a long show. We still have this hand puppet. It's the tweet of the week. Hey! <laughs> love maybe maybe the tweet of the week intro will be something else next week. It'll surprise us. Something with back to the old one. <laughs> something with no. bubbles. We'll just know. keep this. We we like this. We, okay. So this tweet is actually um I think maybe more than a week old, but we'll go to it right now. You had a lot of fun watching this tweet. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know. I don't know who Bishop Swan is, but he must have a lot of followers because he has the blue check mark, and you only get that if you're a, a, an important person. Oh. I don't, I'm so far from the blue check mark. Um, so, anyways, there's this woman, Jean Kramer, who was running for city council in Marysville, Michigan. And she made some statements about interracial marriage. She's not against blacks but believes married couples need to be the same race, just like Adam and Eve, and that her city should remain 
as white as possible. Ay. Okay. Get so, your cousin. So <laughs> your cousin. You're yeah. assuming she's Go white. Oh no, gong. Okay, so I did I'm, some I'm research. I'm just gonna sit here and allow you to do this. One. Yeah. So I went. And I looked up the video, and I got I got the video here. I edited it down a little bit, but uh, let's play the video. We like Marysville the way it is, but as far as having um, um, a black couple moving in. We have no problem with that. Um, but where it's wrong is when you have uh, a white a white woman and a black husband, um, a white wife and a black husband together, that's wrong, and vice versa. Well, and why is that? It's, sim what? it's simply against the Bible. Like I was telling her, uh, God created Adam and Eve, same kind, same race all around, and that's how he wants that. He's our example right there. If um, if a black couple moved in next door or whatever, fine, as long as they keep up their home and their property, no problem. We can talk with them, no problem. Okay. So that's not that's not the issue. But um, what is the issue is um, the uh, biracial marriages. That's the big problem, and there are a lot of people who don't know what's in the Bible. And so they're going outside of that, and they're questioning me as a judge, and I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm not the judge, got it, so. She judging something. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. I, I'm gonna let. I'm gonna leave this one to you because I could really go hard, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let the enemy use me today. First of all, let's talk about that wig. That is, mm, mm, <laughs> okay. I'm not. I don't. Right. And, and then you can move down to the glasses from 1963. <laughs> But that's where her principle. Did she have to go to the Bible? Like yeah. I, I was just sitting here. I'm like, okay, don't do it. Don't don't do it. Don't no. Oh, she went there. Don't. <laughs> is this an example of kinism? It is. So I did a video series on my YouTube channel. That's why I wanted to highlight this. Is that I did a series on my YouTube channel a while back on interracial marriage and what I see as being making the biblical case for interracial marriage, but there are some, I'm going to assume the best, well-meaning Christians who believe the Bible, who do advocate this very peculiar, I would call it highly minority position called kinism, that you should only marry within your race. See, when I hear kinism, I think you should marry your brother because y'all kin, <laughs> but I guess I'm wrong. So, you know, black people can marry black people, white people can marry white people, you know, some would say if you intermarry and you down with the swirl, like, yeah, I can get down with the swirl. Ain't nothing wrong with it. She, she, you know, guys, you can, you can message Monique at the real Monique D on Twitter. Maybe she's, she just she's comes accepting from, dates. Maybe <laughs> father, forgive her. All, all races accepted. That is true. I, I really believe that we are all created in so, God's image. So <laughs> poor uh what's her what's this gal's name? It's not Gladys. I'm Martha Gladys. <laughs> I don't I don't I wanna call her Gladys. But call right. her Gladys. But here's the thing is that she she's making this case that this is a that it's a biblical thing that interracial marriage is not allowed. It's not what God teaches. 
And then she she says we should be like Adam and Eve, and who fall. are from North Africa. Yeah, I'm like, D- has anyone told her that Adam and Eve aren't white? Yeah. Do you want it? Do you want to tell her they were probably black? No, I'm not gonna tell her. I'm just gonna let her live <laughs> in her little world and be happy. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, I wish my friend Sue was still alive, and we were gonna have that conversation yes. about the first humans. But yeah, they're probably black. So. Um, the idea of interracial marriage I see as being kind of um, the Christian worldview makes a distinct case for interracial marriage because in Christ, there was only one humanity and in Christ um, racial cultural divisions are um, brought together and unified through his work on the cross. And so when Christians intermarry, even, you know, with, other cultures, other races, what we're showing the world is the profound unity that is possible in Christ. And it's a preview of heaven and what it will be like for every tribe, every nation, every tongue to praise Jesus for all eternity and to be with the Father. And so I want to respectfully uh, tell our sister in the Lord, you have been misinstructed and no, the Bible does not teach kinism. And um, I'm going to link to my YouTube videos in the notes about uh, um, this. Yes, Laura Sanders has a has a comment. Um, what about Moses? Was he in an interracial marriage? I, I would say so. Um, Moses's wife, it says in scripture, was a Cushite. And Cush is another name for... Egyptian, I believe, uh, or n- like Southern Egyptian. What's this country right under Egypt? I, you know, I don't know geography. You lived in Africa. Yes, and I can tell you about Botswana, Zambia, South Africa, oh, Namibia, yeah. Tanzania. Okay. Thank you. All right. But yes, it does seem to say that um, if, if uh, Moses was a Semite, uh, and his wife was a Cushite. But his, Moses' brother and sister seemed to struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a little mention of, of that in Scripture. I do cover that in my teaching series. But I think that this idea of kinism is just not a useful or, or helpful idea that Christians should not be advocating against interracial marriage. In fact, I actually think the opposite, that... Um, interracial marriage is a unique feature of the Christian worldview and actually puts on display to the world the unity that we have in, in Christ and, and what's truly possible. Oh, there, right under Egypt in the Sudan. I don't know. Kush is, uh, yeah, I, it's been a while since I've looked into this, but it's somewhere in that lower Egypt, northern Sudan areas where the ancient world of Kush was. All right. So, well, there's that. Yeah. All righty, people. It is our time. This is like the longest show ever. We have ever had. Yes. It is time to say goodbye. <laughs> it is time to say goodbye. It we is. thank you for joining us. And we- it's been a great conversation. Be sure to hit the share button for us. Share the show if it's been a blessing to you. And uh, that's a great way to help support the ministry. Yeah. Um, listen to us on Apple Podcast. Spotify, Google. Google, Google Play. Yeah. Yes, we're there. Follow us, um, Theology Mom yeah. or the Real Monique D. Yes. And that's it. Oh, follow Abby. Yes, the teen. She needs followers. 
ab dot underscore pictures. You will see all of her creativity. On Instagram. All right. Yes, that's Insta. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. We'll have a shorter show next week, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Bye. God bless.